Um, it, has been, uh, it has been an amazing year. I want to say, first of all, thank you uh, to all of you, both the, the, those of you that are here at the Shaw campus with us right now and everybody that's joining us online live. I just want to say thank you for remaining faithful and remaining persistent throughout a year of difficulty and hardship. Uh, God has been faithful to us and you have been faithful to God. Um, and I just want to say thank you for that. I also want to say thank you to all of you who have reached out uh, and offered condolences. As many of you know, my mother passed away this last week. And uh, it has been uh, both a, I, I, I'm describing it this way. My heart is broken and my heart is full at the same time. My heart is broken because I'm, I've lost someone that I'm very close to and that I love. My heart is full because her heart was full. Her heart was full of the spirit. Her heart was full of faith. Her heart was full of joy. Her heart was full of victory. And she poured it out. Um, and, and we'll be going down. My family and I will be going back to Phoenix this next week for her funeral. But I just know that if she had the chance, she would say to me, you better get back up to St. Louis and preach on the reopening day. Uh, when you go, you better get up there and preach. She, she just loved ministry. That was her jam. Uh, and, and so I just want to dedicate this service to her. Is that, is that good? Is that good? All right. Amen. <laughs> I better not talk about her anymore. We'll just, we'll just be up here crying. So um, I want to also uh, just let you know, next Sunday, guys, we are launching a new series that is going to lead us right into Easter. I'd like to show you just a little clip of it. Take a moment. Watch this. This starts next Sunday. Amen. If you need to get some inspiration leading into Easter, I urge you uh, to come next Sunday here at the Shaw campus or join us online. Um, for those of you who were not able to register for this Sunday, we maxed out. Uh, we have a, a, a cap on how many people we can have, um, but you will be able to uh, register beginning this afternoon. So we'll send you some information about that. Um, all right, we're going to close out today on the last installment of our series relationship status relationship status I hope that this has gotten into somebody's business over the last five weeks uh, and it's helped somebody to take some steps in their relationship in ways that would advance their relationships and make them flourish so today I want to talk about one of the most difficult and controversial topics in relationships and that is conflict resolution conflict resolution so I want to start today by taking uh, uh, an informal poll I need some audience participation. It's been a year since I've had any audience participation. The camera operators every once in a while give me an amen. Uh, and Carol every once in a while will sit out here and give me a shout. But um, here's where I need your participation. How many of you would describe yourselves as generally as conflict avoiders? 
Any conflict avoiders in the house? You just kind of don't want to be around conflict. You just want some peace, right? You, 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 even when you know you should say something, you don't say it, right? Because you just don't want to disrupt the flow of what's happening. The waiter brings you the wrong dish, and you say, you know what? It's, you know, liver and Brussels sprouts was what I, it's fine. I'll take it, right? You just don't, you just don't want to step out there and cause an argument. We got some, we got some, we got some avoiders, some, okay. That means that the rest of you are probably conflict instigators. Is any instigators in the house? Come on. Yeah, okay. All right. Instigators are loud and proud. They're not as many, but they're strong. Okay. Oh, my wife's pointing to me. Okay, hold on now. Hold on. Not that much participation, people. Um, conflict instigators are people who just kind of poke. They, they, like, they wake up in the morning looking for somebody to straighten out. They like, they like wake up ready for a fight. You know, their first words on Facebook, on Facebook are, come at me, bro. You know, really? They, they will go, they will, they will actively try to find somebody to correct. You got, any, you got any instigators in your life right now? Some of you are laughing in a way that makes it seem like you do. Um, instigators are people who are always just jabbing and, and, and getting in there. And the truth is, all of us will tend to fall in relationships on one end of the spectrum or the other. We'll either be conflict avoiders, meaning we will not even address something that needs to be addressed. We won't do it because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to offend anybody. But let me just say this. The real reason we don't do it, can I just get deep for a second? The real reason we don't, the, the real reason we're afraid to address conflict is because we put so much of our identity in the way we are perceived by other people that we don't want to disrupt that relationship because to disrupt that relationship would be to disrupt our identity. It's because we haven't put or grounded our faith deeply enough and our identity deeply enough in God to have the courage to go take on some conflict that we need to take on. That's just a little, little, de little, little theology there for you. Now, the ones that are instigators, the ones that are always looking for a fight, there's a theological background for that too. It's called pride. Because you just think you know better. Because you think that if everybody would square up and line up the way you are, then the, there would be peace. You're still looking for peace, but you just think, look, I'm, I'm the guy. Let me get the speck out of your eye. Okay, let me show you how it should be done, right? So we all fall on this spectrum. I'm going to show you the spectrum right here. Uh, at the far end is avoiders, and at the other far end is instigators. And the problem is in relationships... Neither of these attributes, neither of these uh, modes of operation get us into a healthy and flourishing place. I'll tell you how we land, where we land. A lot of times, if we get in a situation where there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of anxious toxicity in those kinds of environments, right? And so, you know, if you've ever had a boss or if you've ever had a, a, a you know, a friend or a spouse or a colleague or somebody who's always just you you don't know what side of the bed they're going to wake up on you you walk on eggshells because there's just a toxicity to that relationship anybody ever been in a situation like that right and you're just like I'm not sure which so you want to avoid this so badly that you run all the way over here but the problem with being over here is you end up in what's called artificial harmony artificial harmony means is there's peace on the outside but there's trouble on the inside right it's smooth on the surface but there's trouble underneath. And what this leads to is this, this can be a, sh a sharp disruption to a relationship. This is a slow erosion. This is where, this is where 
hypocrisy seeps in and bitterness seeps in and anger seeps in and it just kind of marinates and ruminates and slowly the, the relationship devolves and becomes real shallow. Amen, you're dismissed. I hope this was inspiring and encouraging to everyone. No, I'm just, I'm just messing. So how do, we, how do we get out of this spectrum? How do we get into a, a healthy and harmonious situation? Because the truth is this. If you are in any relationships with anybody in any meaningful way, and I'm talking marriage, friendship, dating, you know, complicated, whatever it is. Here's the truth. Conflict is inevitable. The only way to avoid conflict is to have no relationships. And then the problem is you will fight with yourself. Has anybody been in that situation? You're like, I don't have anybody to fight with. I guess I'm just going to argue with myself this morning, right? Conflict in a relationship is inevitable because two people are not always going to see eye to eye. So the question is, how do we, in a healthy, biblical way, resolve conflict? This has been such a huge question throughout history that Jesus devoted one of his most, a portion of one of his most uh, important and famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, to this question. Let me read you what he says in, um, in Matthew chapter 5. It says this, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. I just want to see if anybody's going to leave. If anybody just said, he said, leave, okay, next slide, it says this. First go and be reconciled to the person with whom you have beef, and then come back and offer your gift. Anybody going to, I, I always wonder at this point, does anybody, Jesus is saying, if you have unresolved conflict with somebody else, then I need you to go and fix that before you can come and worship me. I need you to resolve the conflict before you can really open up your heart and receive what I have from you. Man, it just got so quiet. I was like, how about the balcony? Can I get some amens up in the balcony? Come on. So, 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 so Jesus is saying, this is so important. Resolving conflict is so important that I want you to handle it even before you come and worship me. And, and the truth is, some of you may need to go do some of that today. And I hope you don't leave because I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you some keys. In fact, I'm going to give you what I'm calling the seven rules for resolving conflict. Now, now let me just tell you, I planned this very theologically rich and deep uh, sermon, and I was, I was, I was, I was teaching it, I was preaching it, I was pitching it to my wife, and she said, "Folks need some practical steps." They need some practical steps to walk through conflict resolution. So I'm going to give you today the seven rules for resolving conflict in your relationship. Let's take a moment. Let's pray that somebody doesn't storm out in the middle of the sermon today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your mission of bringing people and God together in love. Thank you for letting us be a part of that. Lord, I pray today that today's message from your word would actually bring wholeness and health and healing in some relationships that are struggling, uh, family dynamics, uh, parents with children, children with parents, husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, friendships, God, colleagues, work uh, colleagues, uh, schoolmates, roommates, all the kinds of different dynamics and relationships that we're in. God, I pray that they would be flourishing and I pray that they would uh, bring, bring joy, God, and fulfillment to our lives and that they would bring honor and praise to you. 
Uh, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Somebody needs to get a pen and start taking some notes, okay? Um, if, if he's not taking notes, then you take notes. If she's not taking notes, then you take notes. Okay, somebody needs to be taking notes. I'm going to dive right in. Seven rules. Number one is this. You cannot fix what you do not face. I could get an amen on that one, can't I? Somebody. You can't fix it if you don't face it. Now, this is for the conflict avoiders because we like to not face stuff. We like things to fix themselves, but things don't fix themselves. Time does not heal all wounds. It doesn't. Time makes wounds fester. Time makes wounds worse. So you cannot fix it if you do not face it. My parents had a very, very loving relationship. A, a, they were together 40-some years. Some, some of y'all know them and knew them for their whole lives. These two people were in love. They were lovers. They were friends. They were ministry partners. They were into each other. Uh, they, they liked each other. They loved each other. They were a model of, of a good marriage for my sisters and I. But even they would occasionally struggle with having to face some things that they needed to fix. And I will never forget, I had this great moment when I was a teenager. My father, his, his personality was to tease. He always liked to mess with people. And that was the way he showed affection. He would tease you. He would mess with you. So he's messing with my mother one day. And, she, and I remember her saying, Jim, don't do that anymore. I don't like that. And I was like, oh, because it was real direct. You know, and she was usually pretty nice. You know, it was right, real, real straight. And he was surprised. He goes, he goes, Sharon, I've been doing that for 20 years. And she said, and you know what? I haven't liked it for 20 years. But I never told you before, but I'm telling you now. So please don't do that anymore. He's like, okay, right? Because if you don't, come on, if you don't fix it, right, you cannot. If you don't face it, you cannot fix it. Here we go. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, do not sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil anger gives what that means is if you don't address what's bothering you have you ever noticed that when you get mad and you don't address it you get madder is that just me but like your mad thoughts get madder you're like you start adding reasons to get mad you start compounding your arguments in your mind oh and another thing you know what I should have said and another thing I thought but I right and you start getting and, 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 and the Bible says that gives the devil a foothold that means in your heart you can start to become corrupted you can start to experience bitterness in your heart towards the person because you're letting time go by and you're not fixing stuff because you're not facing stuff right James Baldwin said it like this he said not everything that is faced can be fixed but nothing can be fixed until it is faced until it is faced you've got to face some stuff there are some folks there are some folks that are hearing me today you know what the conflict is I don't know what it is uh, you know what it is there's some resolution that needs to happen in some relationships today there might be somebody here today that needs to pick up the phone after this service and say hey I just need to talk about something right don't do it yet because I'm going to give you some techniques about how to do it okay because you could blow it up and make it worse but but there are some folks here today that there is some conflict there are some things that you need to address and I want to encourage you to take that step and do it today now all the all the instigators are like yeah 
I'll tell them today, right now, I'll tell them. So this next point is you, ready? is for you, ready? And here it is. Uh, don't atta- attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. When you are trying to resolve conflict with somebody, if you've got a beef with somebody, if you need to work something out, don't attack the person, attack the problem. Uh, if, you are, if you are dating, if you are engaged, if you are married, if you are divorced, or if you plan to date, I just want to talk to you for a minute, right? So that, that's, that's a lot of people. Um, there's a book that my wife and I both read when we were, getting, uh, when we were dating and we were getting engaged um, uh, by a guy named John Gottman, and it's called uh, Why Marriages Succeed or Fail. And John Gottman wrote this book, and all, this book is one of the premier books on resolving conflict in a relationship. And what he says in this book is that you can tell his, his institute has been able to determine with about a 90% degree accuracy what couples would be together in five years and what couples would not be together in five years based on the way that they in, engage in conflict. And here's what he says in his book. Okay, you can read this. He says, there are four horsemen. The four horsemen of the apocalypse of your relationship. This means, this means there's war. This means there's bloodshed. This means the apocalypse means your relationship's about to end, okay? If you have too much of this stuff going on. Number one, criticism. Criticism is when you attack the person, not the problem, right? You, you don't say, hey, you know, could you please do this? You say, you know, you're so lazy, you never do this, right? Now you're attacking the core of the person's character. Defensiveness is what you do when you feel attacked. You deflect, you don't take responsibility. You blame something else or somebody else or the person that's attacking you. Are you with me this morning? Number three is contempt. Contempt is when you use, you, 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 you insult with the intent to harm. You say, listen, um, I, I'm, I'm going to use some mocking language. I'm going to use some contemptuous language. I'm going to use some ugly language because I know that's going to push your button. I know that's going to push you over the edge, right? And that's what I want. I want to defeat you, right? Of course, if you feel that someone's being contemptuous towards you, that will lead to number four. That's called stonewalling. Stonewalling. Okay, let me just do this real quick. I don't know if I can do this with a microphone, but I'll do it as, as quickly as I can. Let me see. Let me start with this one. No weapons formed against us shall prosper. Okay, um, this is what couples look like when they're fighting. They look like this. Hold on just a second. Ever been, ever been in an argument where you, where you feel like this in a relationship? Come on. Right? Right? So, criticism is like this. I'm going to poke you. I'm going to needle you. I'm going to jab you. I'm going to cut you. Right? And when somebody does that, the other person says this, I'm going to hide. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to deflect your blows. I'm going I'm I'm to cower behind this defense because I, 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 I can't take it. Then it escalates to contempt. Now you get, real, now you get real, real violent. Now you're really needling that person. You're cutting that person, right, in that relationship. And then that's number four. That leads to stonewalling. Finally, you go, you know what? I'm done. I'm out. I got nothing left to say to you. I can't take it anymore. I'm out of here, right? Anybody ever been there? All right. So what, what Gottman says and what the scripture teaches us is that this is not the way relationships are supposed to go. 
Your friend, your spouse, your family member is not your enemy. They're not your enemy. They're on your side. And so resolving conflict means that you are not going to attack the person. In fact, that's what leads us to number three. In, in relationships, we are fighting for unity, not fighting for victory. We're actually fighting with each other towards a common goal. In a relationship, when you have conflict, you are actually trying to address a problem outside of the relationship so that the, pro so that the relationship will get better. I'm in somebody's business today, but everybody's so quiet because you're like, you're either writing this down or you're like trying to act like you don't know what I'm talking about because the person next to you will then be like, wait a second, right? So, so we're fighting for unity, not for victory. The most famous book in the world about conflict is, is a book called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Anybody ever read that book? It's, it's, it's business people read it, coaches read it, military strategists read it. It's, it was written in the fifth century by a, a Chinese military strategist, a general. And it's brilliant. It's a brilliant book about conflict. If the person with whom you're in conflict is your enemy and you want to defeat them and you want to destroy them. But the person with whom most of us are in conflict most of the time is not our enemy. It's our loved one. It's our friend. It's somebody that we're in a relationship with. And so we are not fighting for victory. We are not fighting to defeat them. We are not fighting to, to overwhelm them. We're not fighting to win. We're fighting to unify. In fact, let me just give you, this is a little tip, a little tip. If you're in an argument with somebody, don't sit across from them, sit beside them. It's a little tip. You can just write that one down. Just a little extra. Sit beside them because now you're both facing the same way. And you can have a conversation about the future that you're trying, rather than right at each other. Some of the best arguments my wife and I have had have been in the car because we're facing the same way. Right? If we start to square off, now, now, you know, now I've got to try to win this fight. But if we're side by side, now we're moving in the same direction. That's just a little tip. That works for us. Um, here's, here's what Jesus said. Matthew 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So go do this, but not to defeat him. Actually, let, look at this. He said his fault. Take it back one time um, right here. His fault, right? So you're not attacking the person. You're addressing the problem and here's why you're doing it. you're not doing it to defeat them it says this if your if your brother or your sister hears you then you have gained your brother we are fighting for unity not for victory we are fighting to get better in war conflict is to overcome your enemy in a relationship conflict is to unify you with the person with whom you are in conflict so do not, uh, do not fight for, for, for victory. Fight for unity. Number four, my least favorite one. Address the present, not the past. What I mean by that is, when you are in a conflict with a person you love, do not relitigate all of the issues that you already resolved over the years. Why is my wife the only one laughing at that? Um... You know, a lot of us are what we call historical thinkers. Historical thinkers are people who, when you're in a conflict with them, they're not able to only focus on the current issue. They link that issue up to all the past issues that you... Now some people are chuckling. Now you know what I'm talking about. 
They link it up to all the other stuff that you used to do. And, and even though all those things have been resolved, they're going to tie them all together into this argument right here because they're going to win this argument right here. And they got all the evidence marshaled against you, right? I was telling my son this week, Jameson, I said, I was telling him about the topic. You know, we're going to talk about conflict resolution and all that kind of stuff. He said, you know what's interesting, Dad? He said, um, you, when you and Mom argue, he said, you're actually more convincing. And I was like, thank you, son. And then he said, even when you're wrong. And I was like, oh, wait, now hold on, right? Because... <laughs> Because, the, because a lot of times, now what I'm not saying is this, if there's an issue from the past that needs to be addressed, address that issue, okay? But if that matter has been resolved, let that matter be closed. Release the matter that's been resolved, do not relitigate it, so that you can move forward in the, in the argument. That's, that's, that, is, that is something that's just a, a natural thing that arises up. I, I have training as a litigator, I used to be an attorney and so in our early days with with Rebecca and me when we argued I'd be like let me just marshal my evidence let me just put together my closing statement I'm going to cross-examine the witness and then I'm going to come in for the victory right um that didn't work that didn't bring it didn't bring joy didn't bring love Uh, here's what first Corinthians says you know this it says this love keeps what no record hey list people light the list burn it up let it go it's been litigated release it all right number five this is a good one find the thing behind the thing anybody know what I'm talking about already I'm gonna explain this to you but usually in conflict the thing that you are fighting about is not the thing you are fighting about somebody's shaking their heads the thing you are fighting about is actually the surface of the thing you are fighting about. The thing you are fighting about is behind the thing you are fighting about. You know what I'm talking about? Let me put it like this. Most of your arguments are about very mundane things. Laundry, money, food, time, boring things. I don't know what yours is, but boring things, right? But, but what, what, what you're really arguing about is the thing behind the thing. Now let me give you an example. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal the biggest argument Rebecca and I have ever had in four, almost 14 years of marriage. You want to know what it was? I, I mentioned this in the sermon a while back. The biggest fight we ever had was over how far back I trimmed the tree limbs on the tree in our backyard. I am serious. That fight went on for two weeks. Am I, am I exaggerating? I got my, my kids in here. It was a long, it was a long conflict. It was a conflict of attrition. We had our swords and we had our shields. And we were fighting this out. And what it took me a few weeks to figure out is that we were actually fighting about the thing behind the thing. We weren't really fighting about the tree. We were fighting about the fact that my wife loved to look at the the, the beauty of the flowers on that tree with our daughter. And she loved that when I told her I was going to trim the tree, she said, please don't trim it back too far. But I did trim it back too far. I wasn't listening to her. So she didn't love that. She didn't love the fact that she didn't feel heard. She didn't feel listened to. She's, I'm, I'm making sure I got this right. She, 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 she didn't feel like I acknowledged and, and embraced the fullness of what she had expressed to me. And so when I cut the tree back too far, to me, it's like, okay, it was a limb. You know, it's just a limb. <laughs> It was the whole, it was half the tree. Can we compromise? 
There you go. Watch this. Watch this. Um, it was, it was, but, but it was the thing behind the thing. Here's what the scripture teaches us. And I, I used this scripture last week. I want to use it again. It says this uh, in James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why quick to listen? Because only by listening can you discover the thing behind the thing. Only by asking questions and listening can you really understand what is the thing that is hurting, harming, bothering this person so much. You've got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. Take your time, figure out the thing behind the thing. Number six, we're getting close, but this is a big one, y'all. Ready? Apologize effectively. Ever gotten a non-apology? Huh? Anybody ever, like, a non-apology is, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Oh, really? You're sorry that I feel this way? Because I'm sorry that you did what you did. Now I feel this way, but I don't want you to be sorry for my feelings. I want you to be sorry for your actions. You know what I'm talking about? I got some claps back there on that one. Come on. Apologize effectively. Right? What's the Demi Lovato song? Sorry, not sorry. You ever get, you ever get that? It's like, hey, listen, if you're going to apologize, apologize effectively. I'm going to show you how. I'm going to give you a model right now. I told you this is super practical. You should write this down, and I mean it. Here's how you do it. Mean it. Don't apologize unless you mean it. Sincerity. You got to mean it. Say it. Simplicity. Don't add a bunch of bells and whistles to your apology. Don't say, I'm sorry, but if you had only, right? Because then you're basically saying, I'm sorry, but I'm not, right? Simplicity. Number three, own it. Responsibility. That means I'm sorry for what I did. I'm going to take responsibility for the part of this that I did. Now, there are going to be times where you're, you're in, a, in a conflict with somebody, and it's not 100% your fault, and it's not 100% their fault. It's some percentage in the middle, I like to negotiate my end down as to the best that I can. I'm like, this was, me is about 11%. I feel like I'll take 11, right? No, but you've got to take responsibility for your part of it. Number four, feel it, meaning empathize with the way that it made them feel. Is this good, somebody? This is good. I'm telling you it's good. Feel it, empathy. And number three, or number, the, the last one is do it, commitment, meaning that the thing that you did, make a commitment not to do that again. Those are the components of a great apology. Let me put it together, all together for you, right? And you're going to watch this in real time. I'm sorry I, I cut the tree back that far, right? That's, that's, that's how you would say it. I'm really sorry, right? Um, period, right? <laughs> no, nothing else to that. Um, that was my bad. That was my bad. I didn't listen to what you had said. I didn't take that into account. I didn't take... Your, your, your words into account, right? Um, it probably made you feel really upset. It probably made you feel, I mean, I know it did. I'm, I'm pretty confident that it did. And um, I won't cut the tree limbs back anymore because they don't exist, but um, because they're gone. But, um, but I won't do it anymore, right? That's how you do it. But leave the last part off, right? Apologize. Did you like that? Apologize 
effectively. This will advance your relationship. You will come through your relationship stronger and better if you will apologize effectively. Number seven, wrapping it up right here. Are you ready? Receive and offer complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. Let me release somebody from something right now. Because right now you are holding on to unforgiveness because you think that by forgiving someone, you have to excuse what they did to you. You are not forgiving because you think that to forgive means that you are going to justify or rationalize the thing that they did. You don't want to forgive somebody because you're afraid that if you forgive them, that even though they are they have harmed you in, in ways that are unsafe for you to engage them again. If you forgive them, then you're going to have to reconcile with them. Let me release you from that. That's not what forgiveness means. Somebody. That's not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I am going to release you into the justice of God. I'm going to release the bitterness that I've held against you for the wrong that you did to me. I'm going to release that to God. Because I'm not going to take revenge. I'm going to allow God to avenge. I'm going to allow God's justice to handle this situation. I am going to release the power that you have over me because I am forgiving you with my whole heart completely. Right? You know, they say for, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and, and expecting the other person to die. Right? Unforgiveness will, will tear you up. And in fact, I want to I want to close with this, Pastor Mark. Uh, there was a relationship uh, with a couple. This is years and years ago that I was counseling, um, and they were trying to come together in marriage, but they had both been in very, very, very toxic and broken relationships in the past. And I mean, all the bad stuff, like the really bad stuff, harsh stuff. And they were trying to start over with a relationship between each other. But what was happening is they were starting to repeat some of the, uh, some of the actions and behaviors and attitudes that had been in the prior relationships. And they began to point blame at one another for things that really were in relation to the things that from their past relationship. And I'm not a counselor, right? That's not my career, that's not my job. So I told him, I said, after you leave here, you got it. You need to go to counseling because I'm not, I'm not, that's not my, that's not, that's not my strength. But what I will tell you that is this, I will tell you this. If you want this relationship to work, then you have to forgive your exes. You have to forgive those who harmed you from the past. You have to release them. Because what you're doing now is you're bringing the toxicity and the brokenness and the pain from your prior relationship into this relationship. And if the, the truth is for all of us, if we do not release, if we do not forgive those who have harmed us, then we will continue recurring the harm ourselves. We will either be harmed again or we will begin to harm others again. You've got to release those who have harmed you. Complete forgiveness. So that's forgiving them. But here's the beautiful thing. You also need to receive complete forgiveness. That means there are things in your heart, in your life, that you have not forgiven yourself from. And God has already 
forgiven you. He's already released you. He's already said to you, I covered that. In fact, when, when Jesus was on the cross, if you remember his final words up on the cross, he looked down to the people with whom he had great conflict. People who had harmed him, spit upon him, every imaginable uh, whipped him, crucified him. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Ephesians 4, this is the last scripture I want to give you. It says, let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And it says this, be kind, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, what? Forgiving. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Here's what I want to say. There, there are two things that I want that I want to reach into your heart today and, and, and encourage you to do. For some of you, there is unforgiveness in your heart for a pain that you experienced in your past. And I want to, I want to plead with you. I want to urge you today. Forgive that person. No matter how badly you were harmed. No matter how unjustly you were treated. No matter how vilely someone treated you. I want to challenge you today. Be free from that pain by forgiving that person. That's number one. The other one is this. For some of you, you're carrying unforgiveness in your heart for yourself. And this scripture says, even as God in Christ, what? Past tense. He already forgave you. If you've repented and said, Father, I'm sorry, you're forgiven. That's Next week, we're going to be talking about the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. He did that for you. Be forgiven. Be forgiven and forgive one another. That is how we end up in relationships that are healthy and flourishing and growing because we are our hearts and our souls are aligned with the forgiveness, the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. Our hearts are filled by the power of His Spirit. And so our lives begin to express that and pour that out to one another. I want to invite you as we close to worship in a few different ways. If you're a, a guest and we haven't met you or we don't know you or you want to get connected to this church, there are some connection cards in the back of your in your seats here at the Shaw campus. And if you're online, uh, there's a connection card link in the, in the description. Take a moment, fill that out. If you have a prayer request, we can pray with you. If you have anything you want to communicate to us, if you just, if you want to make a commitment to follow Jesus, if you need to recommit your life to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. Another way I want to encourage you to respond is if you're new here, and you haven't come through our next steps and, and started taking the steps to draw closer to God and closer to other people in a, in, in a, in a, in a way that is uh, loving and, and full of joy and life, I want to invite you to do that today. We're offering next steps. It's right downstairs at the Shaw campus. It's right downstairs in our next steps room. You can just go down the stairs out this door. If you're online, it will be offered live online at 1045. And so you can just click the link and join us live online today. So it'll be online and in person, fully digital. okay? Number three, if this is your church, this is where you 
uh, uh, find a home, a spiritual home, I want to encourage you to give and to be a part of pouring yourself out for the advancement of this mission, of, 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 of extending the mission of bringing people and God together in love by partnering financially. There are a number of ways you can do that. You can fill out an offering envelope and put it in one of the baskets on your way out. Uh, there's a QR code. Uh, we've gotten we've gotten high tech, y'all. You can you can click that QR code and give online. Uh, you can give online if you're watching digitally. And then the final one is this: We're not able to take communion together right now, but we have communion available for you down in the prayer room if you're here at the Shaw campus and you want to take some time today and go pray down in the prayer room and take communion. We've got communion prepared for you down there. Uh, and if you are online, you can go to onefamilychurch.com slash worship. And, and we have a whole communion page and we'll walk you through the process. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, his body was broken. His blood was spilled for you so that you and I could have a relationship with him and so that you and I can have a relationship with each other in love. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for guiding us through your word and through these scriptures, through these steps, in order to experience the fullness of the life that you have for us in the relationships that you've called us into. I pray, Lord God, that our hearts would be filled with forgiveness. I pray, Lord God, that our hearts would be filled with forgiveness for ourselves and for those who have harmed us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would commit today to take the kinds of steps that you're calling us to take to experience the health and joy and beauty in the relationships that we're in and that our relationships might reflect the glory and the power and the joy of who you are, that we might be a light to those we meet. Father, we love you. We give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen, amen. Would you stand with me now here at the Shaw campus? And as we leave, would you just give somebody an elbow bump or a wave or a high five or a something and let them know, God bless you. Thanks for coming back and we will see you next Sunday. God bless you, everybody. Love you.